Thank you so much for visiting us online today. We believe God wants to speak to you through the following message. If you would like to connect with us or send us your prayer request, visit us at kingsgatehobs.com. Lord, we just praise you, Father. We give you thanks for your goodness in our life. And Lord, we ask, Father, that you would speak to us tonight, that you would give us your word, Father, that it would become revelation to us, that we would learn from it and that it would fall on good ground. We trust you, Father, in everything that you do. And we have our ears open, Father, willingly, ready to receive. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So how was everybody's day today? Good? All right, good, yeah. Did anybody have anything exciting today happen? No. So I was hearing today, or yesterday, as a matter of fact, um, that, you know, we may cancel services, and I kept, I, I didn't understand why, because I don't follow weather, and I don't follow the news, none of that. I'm just not on my phone for those things, and so usually I'm just studying or something, and uh, so yesterday I got a text, and, um, you know, we're not canceling this, and I'm all, what's going on? We're not canceling it? <laughs> and then I find out, oh, it's because it was going to snow, and so... Uh, people were worried about that, and I thought, no, we're not canceling for that. I remember we had a bunch of snow we didn't cancel, so <laughs> we're definitely not canceling for that. So um, my day was good. It was a little cold. Um, yesterday, it started out real cold, and all of a sudden, the weather got great, right? It was wonderful during the day. Um, so, all right. So today, uh, what we're going to be talking about is we're going to go over Galatians chapter 2, verse 14 through 21. Now, um, I don't know if you remember, but we went over Galatians, um, the book of Galatians, as far as an overview. And then we went over chapter one and early the, the beginning part of chapter two um, about several months ago. And so that's where I'm going to pick up off of. Uh, I'm going to pick up from there and then we'll go on there. So you can find the other two uh, teachings online and then you can also go along with this. So it'll just go right in order. Uh, but before we start, I'm going to give you uh, kind of a quick review. So that way you're not completely lost if you weren't here at those times. Um, so let's start with the review. So we talked about uh, the Southern Galatian churches uh, and when they were established. We established that or we said that they were established around 48 A.D., uh, and it was multiple churches. It wasn't just one. There was the Southern Galatian churches and then the Northern Galatian churches. And so most scholars believe that the letter was actually written to the Southern Galatian churches. Um, so uh, having said that, uh, most scholars also believe that the book of Galatians was written just six months to maybe a year and a half. It depends on who you read and who you, you look up uh, to a year and a half after uh, the Southern Galatian churches were established. So not too long after uh, this letter was written that Paul wrote this to the church. Um, now that's important because Paul wasn't happy with the church and the direction they had chosen to take. Paul had heard word that they were being taught that they must be circumcised to follow Christ, among other things, right? This to Paul was a desertion of Christ. That's how he saw it. He said, man, you know what? If you're going to follow the works of the law, then you've walked away from Christ. So they were now, and the reason he, he said that is because he believed they were now relying on the works of the law to gain their salvation. And that's when it became dangerous. So this frustrated Paul and prompted a letter of rebuke for their sake. It was for their sake that Paul wrote this letter. This letter isn't really one of encouragement. Uh, it's a rebuke, as this one is probably one of the only letters in the whole Bible that's it's just a rebuke. There's not much in there that you can look at and say, man, I feel really encouraged as far as if you were them, right? Because he was rebuking you if you were them. 
Um, so having said that, uh, we talked about chapter one, and in chapter one, if you recall, uh, we went over the early verses, and the early verses talked about who Paul was and uh, how he became an apostle, right? And then he sandwiched that in the middle with what the problem was to the Galatian churches and why he was upset with them. And then at the end of the chapter, uh, he talked about, again, how he became an apostle and who he was. So it's like he, he sandwiched his credentials and how he became an apostle to uh, what the problem was. So that's what happened in chapter 1. And in chapter 2, if you remember, we covered uh, verse 1 through 14. And it started out with um, Paul talking about his own experience with Barnabas and Titus how, and how they encountered uh, the same uh, problem, which is uh, proselytes and those uh, Jews who were telling them they had to follow the law as well while serving Christ. So he encountered that same problem. And the difference was, is he's explaining that they didn't give an inch. They didn't give up. They said, no, they did not say we will relinquish and follow. OK, what you want? He says we didn't give an inch. OK, so he's detailing that to them. And then we left off where Paul is rebuking Peter. OK, so he's giving him an illustration of, of what went wrong and then how Peter was there and what happened. So that's what we're going to pick up in verse 11 through 14. We see that. And Paul details his rebuke to Peter for his hypocrisy, for being afraid of the same people who teach circumcision. And mainly it's proselytes. Proselytes is an, uh, it's, it's a word for Gentiles living like Jews following Christ. OK, so that's that's what it is now. They were following Christ. So. Having said that, let's get right into it. We're covering Galatians chapter 2, verse 14 through 21, um, Paul's rebuke to Peter. So let's turn to Galatians 2, 14, and we're going to read this scripture. It says, but when I saw that they were not behaving, now this is him talking about Peter. He's giving, he's telling the Galatian churches what he's experienced. And he says, but when I saw that they were not behaving consistently with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, which is Peter, in front of all of them, if you, although you are a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you try to force the Gentiles to live like Jews? Verse 15. We are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that no one is justified by the works of the law, but by faithfulness of Jesus Christ. So, let's see. Yeah. All right. So I read on a little bit. So Paul begins his rebuke in verse 14. He's telling the churches and he's saying, you know what? This is what happened with Peter. He's explaining how Peter was living like a Gentile. And what does he mean by that? He says, you're living like them. You're living like the Gentiles. What he means by that is they were they were living in freedom. They didn't have to follow the law. They weren't under obligation of those type of things to make themselves right with God. OK, Peter was living free and that's how the Gentiles lived. They lived free under the grace um, of Christ. Right. That's that's how they lived. Now, keep in mind this. These were Christian Gentiles. These weren't just regular Gentiles who didn't serve God. They're talking about Christians. They're talking about the Gentiles who became Christian. And in verse 15, he explains the difference. And I find this interesting that Paul says, we are Jews by birth. He is telling Peter this. This is part of his rebuke to Peter. Now, you get to keep that in mind. This is part of his rebuke to him. He says, but we are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that no one is justified by the works of the law. Now, why does he say that? Why does he say we are, are Jews by birth? I believe he's highlighting that for a reason. Peter knows that. Peter knows he's a Jew, so he's highlighting it for everyone else to see, and also Peter, because Peter knows better than anybody else. So does Paul. He's highlighting one thing, and he says this. He says, 
we are Jews by birth. So the Jews always looked at the Gentiles as though they were outside of God's guidance. So here, here's how they viewed themselves. They viewed the Gentiles as sinners. Okay, that's how the Jew viewed, viewed them. They said they are sinners. And not only are they sinners, but they are left to their own devices because they don't know God, right? They don't know how to get to God. We do because we're the chosen people, right? That's what, that's what the Jews believed. Now, the Jews believed. It's not to say that they weren't sinners. They knew they were sinners. The Jews knew that they would sin. But the difference was is they had the law, and they knew who God was, and they had God to guide them. That was the difference. So that's why he's saying to Peter, you know we are Jews by birth, not Gentile sinners. In other words, you know and I know we've had God from the beginning. We know God has led us and guided us. They haven't. And because we know that, we know that there's nothing we can do to be justified by following the law. So he's making it a point to Peter. So now Paul states that Peter is living without the law, but not, but not left to his own devices, but rather under grace, which is true freedom. You have Christ, and you don't have to follow these certain set of laws and certain set of rules and obligations. You're living in true freedom. So he rebukes Peter because he's behaving as though the Gentile Christians should live like he was in his former past. That they should live by the law, thereby losing their own freedom, making Peter a hypocrite because he doesn't live like that. So Peter's behavior and the way he was doing it. So kind of give you a backdrop. What happened was is Peter is having a meal with uh, the Gentiles and Paul is there. So is Barnabas. They're all having a meal with the Gentiles. And this is in chapter, this is in verse 13 and 12 and 11 and so on. And so he's having a meal. Then certain Jews came that believed in circumcision while in Christ. And at that moment, then Peter gets up and he goes to sit with them. So that was the problem. So Paul sees this and he's upset about it. So he begins to rebuke him. So he's saying, Peter, because of your behavior, you're showing the Gentiles that they should then live like the Jews when you know that the Jews couldn't get right with God the way they were doing it. The Gentiles who have, who have Christ in them that are living free of the law, they have it right. And we should be living like them. And Peter, you yourself are living like them. So why are you behaving this way since the Jews came in the picture? So that's the problem. So he, he details the, the hypocrisy. Now there is debate amongst um, some scholars as to when uh, Peter's rebuke actually ended. Some believe it ended on verse 17. Some believe it went all the way to the beginning of chapter 3. I don't know. You'd have to read it for your, yourself and see what you think. Um, it's pretty compelling. But either way, from verse 14 all the way to chapter 3, he's still detailing the problem and what the issue is um, with Peter and, and with that type of thought. He's still um, explaining that. So it all coincides. So Peter is being hypocritical here. And if we tell the truth, We've all been hypocritical at one point or another in our life, right? If we're telling the truth, and I'll give you an example. This is a common one, so I know we can all relate. So let's just say somebody's speeding down your street, right? You can't stand when somebody's speeding down your street and you're outside, right? Especially if you have kids. You're like, man, I wish a cop was around here. They could get that dude and pull him over, man, right? It, it upsets you when somebody's doing that. Even if you don't have kids and you're out there, maybe you're out there with your mother, your father. Maybe you're just out there. You don't like it. Maybe you see your neighbor's kids out there. Like, man, I wish a cop was here. However, whenever we're speeding down the highway, we tend not to have a problem with it, right? We're speeding down the highway, maybe a 50 and a 40, or a 40 and a 30, or even a 35 and a 30. 
we're, we're speeding, but we don't have an issue with it, right? As a matter of fact, when the cop pulls us over, sometimes we're rude to him. Or maybe we're mad and we don't want to take the ticket, right? <laughs> like, man, I'm just, just a bad day. Why, man, can you just let me go? And you know what? You wouldn't have want that cop to let the other person go speeding down your street, right? So we can be a little hypocritical. I'm not saying we're all that way. I'm not saying we all do that all the time. I'm not saying we even do that. But that's just an example, right? Another example is this one. And I love this one because this is where I was hypocritical. So I'm telling on myself. Um, kids. I have found this out because we have two uh, loving girls that are just amazing. I used to see parents with kids at stores, and those kids would throw a fit. And I would look at that parent and say, in my mind, I wouldn't tell them out loud, obviously, um, but I would say in my mind, that would never happen to me. I'd spank that child. I'd get that child straight, you know. It would, he would never disrespect me. I used to say that, and many of us do, right? And then you have kids. <laughs> When you have kids, you go to the store, and all of a sudden, they throw a tantrum. And you're like, oh, my gosh. And all you can think of is, oh, I hope everybody has grace for me, man. I, you know, you're, you're apologizing. There. I'm so sorry. You're embarrassed. You don't, you don't like it, right? And there's a point where you can train a child not to do that. But you're going to experience something like that at some day, right? And it happens to us. But when we're on the other foot, and we never experience that, we always are judgmental and say, oh, that wouldn't happen to me. That wouldn't have this. That wouldn't have that, right? We get that way. We can be a little hypocritical. And now I'm like, man, you know what? If, if, they, if, if I see a parent that's going through that, I'm like, no, I have grace, man. I'm like, and we actually encourage each other. Uh, Beth has experienced this where we're like, hey, we understand. We understand. Kids will be kids sometimes. Maybe they didn't eat. Maybe they're feeling bad. Maybe they're tired. Maybe whatever it is, you know. It is what it is, right? But it gives you more perspective. But we can all be hypocritical like that. What about when sin comes into play? When somebody sins and they're sitting in your church and you know about it, they've been getting away with it and then they get caught. And you're like, man, we should let them have it, right? Just throw the book at them, right? Get them, pastor, get them, you know? And we feel like that, right? But then when we sin, we walk in the door and we want grace and understanding. We want patience with everyone. We're like, hey, man, you know how I feel? And you're trying to relate to someone, right? It's so easy to get it mixed up. We're so easy, uh, and it's, it's almost become nature to us at times to be hypocritical in those areas. Sometimes we don't even catch the hypocrisy in our life. Sometimes we don't see it. Sometimes it just takes a new perspective, right? So keep that in mind, that, that we can all be that way. It doesn't mean we have to be. It doesn't mean we will be, but we sure are capable of it, okay? Now, this is kind of a side note. Um, one thing we shouldn't ever do is make people feel bad when they didn't go to church for, a two, for two weeks or make people feel bad because they didn't attend your Bible study that week or they didn't pray that session or something. You shouldn't be making them feel bad. You shouldn't be trying to shame them, okay? Because that happens a lot in the Christian world. We see somebody and say, oh, you didn't show up to Bible study. Well, why not? Now, I'm not talking about a person that continually does things that that he shouldn't do. I'm not saying that. And there are times where ministers will come up to you, and even so, you may do that to someone else, where say, you say, man, you know what? I'm here, I'm here for rebuke or correction, but I'm here to warn you. As Paul was writing the letter to the Galatian churches, it's a warning. It's for their benefit, right? But we don't just do that every time someone does something, right? But I see that from Christians from time to time, and they're so quick to, to draw uh, when they shouldn't be. So keep that in mind. It's not our job to shame people, no matter what instance it is. We should be doing it out of the heart of correcting so that they can get better. Um, if you remember anything, remember this. You have the ministry of reconciliation. You don't have the ministry of retaliation. Okay? You're not 
uh, you're not to step in as the Holy Spirit. Okay, we can help people. We can help people uh, in many different ways. But remember that you're supposed to reconcile to them, uh, reconcile them to Christ. That's our job. Okay, so remember that. So going back to what we're talking about. So people can be hypocritical. No one is different. No one on this earth is different. As a matter of fact, this pulpit is no different. Right. I'm a human just like everybody else. We deal with things. So keep that in mind. You can see that in the news. You know, a mega pastor within the last two months. Now you're hearing about a mega apologist that has fallen and so on. Um, Keep in mind that no one is exempt from those type of things. We're all human. We all go through things. Um, So a new perspective and grace is needed a lot of the times. That doesn't mean rebuke is not and correction is not. But I'm giving it a point that uh, we should be going uh, further into grace first before we get to the other side. Um, So Peter is dealing with that. Peter's uh, or Paul is dealing with Peter's hypocrisy. Now, why is that important? Because of verse 16. Let's go to verse 16. It says, yet we know that no one is justified by the works of the law, but by the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. So Peter is behaving in a way that he's he's showing people that we can be justified another way. And this makes Paul angry. He's like, no, this isn't right. Right. The issue was circumcision. But nevertheless, Paul can see from that. and He can say, "Uh if you do circumcision, you'll do this, you'll do this, you'll do this, you'll do this. There's a problem there. So remember this man is justified by faith. According to this scripture, no one is justified by the works of the law. According to Romans 3.23, let's turn there and we'll read that. And we're going to go, you'll just read with me, Vali, all the way to 28. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But they are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. God publicly displayed in him at his death as the, at the mercy seat accessible through faith. This was to demonstrate his righteousness because God in his forbearance had passed over the sins previously committed. This was also to demonstrate his righteousness in, in the present time so that he would be justified, he would he would justify the justifier, the one who lives because of Jesus' faithfulness. I may have read that wrong. Keep going. Where then is boasting? It is excluded by what principle? Of works. In other words, of works. You can't boast of your works. No, but by the principle of faith. That's what he's saying. For we consider that a person is declared righteous by faith apart from the works of the law. All right. That was the end of that. Okay. So apart from the works of the law. So it's easy. It's really easy to misunderstand that. And sometimes we look at works as though that's a way to justify ourselves. And we can't do that. The only way you are saved is believing in Christ Jesus. Now, we can show you that in Scripture. Let's turn to Romans chapter 10, verse 9. Now, this is important because we get this often mixed up. We say, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now, most people, let's go back to verse 9, most people look at that and they say, oh, okay, I must confess first, and then I must believe, right? They look at it that way. It's a two-part thing. Really, it's a one-part thing. A one-part thing that results in the second part. That's what it is, okay? And we'll, we'll prove that to you. So remember that when you, when you, this says you confess with your mouth. That's, that's not confession as though because you confessed, you have earned salvation. That's not what it's saying. The other part is, is it says, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Why did he put that in there? Because that is, everything hinges on Christ's resurrection. Okay? Christ had to have res- resurrected. If not, it's useless. We haven't been saved. 
There's nothing we can do, nothing we can do to make ourselves right. So Christ had to be resurrected, and that's why he puts it in there. He didn't say you must believe that Christ fed 5,000 people, that you must believe that Christ did this miracle and that miracle. That wasn't the thing. He says, no, you must believe in your heart that God raised Christ from the dead. That's what you must believe. Now, that's what gets you saved, right? Now, let's go to verse 10. We'll read in NET. For with the heart one believes and thus has righteousness, and with the mouth one confesses and thus has salvation. So when I read that, I say one confesses and thus has salvation. So if I confess, I have salvation, right? That's not what he's trying to say. That's not what Paul is trying to say. What he is actually saying is this. So let's read it in the Amplified because I like the way it details this. For with, it says, because if you acknowledge and confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord and in your heart believe, you adhere to, trust in, and rely on the truth that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, adheres to, trusts in, and relies on Christ, and so is justified. He declared, he's declared righteous and acceptable to God. So stop right there. So he's already justified. Why? Because he believed in his heart. God justified him through his faith. Then the second part is, and with the mouth, he confessed unto salvation. This one says he confesses, he declares openly and speaks out freely with his face and confirms his salvation. So that's important. That's extremely important. It clearly states that belief starts in the heart, thereby making you righteous with God. In other words, God justifies you through your faith, and once you believe, you will then confess, you will then acknowledge your salvation by calling him Lord. Did everybody get that? One might say that your faith is in, is, is in the heart unto righteousness, and your confession is your work. One might say that. I'll repeat that again. One might say that your faith is in the heart unto righteousness and your confession is your work. Now, you may say, man, he just said work is part of salvation. There's a problem there, right? You can't preach that because you can't earn your salvation. Well, that's true. And that's not what I'm saying. See, the work that's talked about here is not earned, but it's a recognition. That's what it is. It's a recognition of what Christ has done in your heart through faith. It is an action, but it's a recognition action. See, there are many types of works in the Bible. The Bible talks about works of merit, works of righteousness, works of God, and so on. Let me go on, and then we'll put this together. Okay, so what does James have to say about faith without works? Because we just read in verse 16, yet we know that no one is justified by the works of the law. Okay, but what does James have to say? Let's turn to James chapter 2, verse 24. It says, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Now, that's important, justified by works. Do we see a contradiction here? Is there a problem? Can we say, man, these guys, they don't know what they're talking about. One says you're, you're not justified by works. The other one says you are. Is there a problem here? As the good old King James Version would say, nay. Nay, there's not a contradiction. <laughs> there's no problem here. You see, Paul and Peter were, de were dealing with two very different concepts Two very different types of people, two very different types of situations, okay? So Paul was dealing with someone who, had, who was trying to earn their faith or their justification through works. And so he's saying, you can't earn it like that. It, it can't be done that way. And James is dealing with a person who says they have faith, but then they have nothing to show for it. 
There's no action. There's no proof of their faith. So two very different situations. So that's why you see one says we're justified by faith. The other says we're justified by works because they're dealing with two different issues. They actually both coincide. They actually both make sense. So keep this in mind. Let's turn to James James chapter 2, verse 14, and we'll see it here. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but does not have works? Can this kind of faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm, and eat well, but you do not give them what the body needs, what good is it? So also faith, if it does not have works, is dead being by itself. So you see, it does you no good to say, man, go be blessed, and you didn't feed that person. It does you no good. Your faith was not in action. There's no proof of your faith. Now, I'm not talking about in every instance. James is dealing with the issue of people not even having works at all. He's dealing with that. He's saying, he, well, we've seen that, right? In, in Christian churches today, people say all the time, or people on the street, I should say, people at your jobs, they say, oh, I'm Christian, but you never see them at church. Like, literally never. You never see them at your Bible study. They don't know what's in their word. They don't read it. They don't pray. They're not doing those type of things, right? That is proof, and that's what James was dealing with. He's saying they're not saved. They can't be. They have no evidence of it, right? So this is a perfect example. If we go to 2.24 again, James 2.24, perfect example of taking a scripture and then running with it. If we read that, we would be telling people, no, you are justified by your works. You are. That's a perfect example of taking scripture out of context. If you read the entire chapter of James, you understand what James is trying to get at what the issue was. James, James details it in this chapter three times that faith without works is dead. So now, he was making it a point, right? Now he goes on to verse 21 through 25, and he details it. And we learned about Abraham, right, this past Sunday. A pastor was teaching you about that. Now keep in mind, he, he gives an example of this. He says, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Let's go to, um, let's go to 22. Just, just keep on reading there. You see that his faith was working together with his works, and his faith was perfected by works. I think he's talking about Abraham here. Yeah. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Now Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him for righteousness, because he was called, he was called God's friend. So what happened here is we know the story. Abraham offered up Isaac. We, heard, we learned on Sunday that Abraham reasoned within his mind that God could raise Isaac from the dead. So he believed God that he could do that. Therefore, what was his work? His work was sacrificing Isaac. That's what he was doing. So James is detailing it and saying, you see, Abraham's work was proven by his faith. He had faith. Because he had faith, he had an action. And that action was a work. So faith with works, that's how he, that's how he was justified. That's how he believed. And then he, he details it again with Rahab. And he says, you see, when the two spies came up to Rahab, we all know that story. I, I don't have the time to detail that for you, but go back and read it. Um, it's a good, it's a good uh, lesson there. Uh, Rahab receives the spies, and she believes them. And when she believes them, she gives them a different way out. And James, James details that and says, because she believed them, the way out that she gave them was a work. So faith with works. So I say to you, according to Romans 10.9 and 10.10, we confess with our mouth, we believe in our heart. Well, the believing in our heart is the faith because it details that uh, in verse 10, Paul describes it. He doesn't just leave verse 9 there, but he details what he's saying in verse 10. And we can read that in the Amplified, right? So faith 
began in the heart, and then what was the work? You confessed. You confessed. It was a recognition. So you see your faith with a work being activated. The work was activated, but the faith got you saved. So there's a big difference there. And so Peter, or James, and Paul, you'll see that they're both actually saying the same thing. you got to have faith, and that faith should show something. If it's not, there's something wrong with that faith. It's not real faith. That's what they're detailing. So, let's go on. Verse 17. Let's go back to verse 17 in Galatians chapter 2. The Bible says this. But while... If while seeking to be justified in Christ, we ourselves have also been found to be sinners, is Christ then the one who encourages sin? Absolutely not. But if I build up again these things I once destroyed, I demonstrate that I am the one who breaks God's law. For through the law, I died to the law so that I may live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So the life I now live, I live in the body. Or the life I now live, I live in the body. I live because of the faithfulness of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside God's grace because if righteousness could come through the law, then Christ died for nothing. So why is it important to understand how we were justified? We talked about works and faith. Why is that important? Because people believe that they can be good and get into the heaven, get into heaven on their own. Or they believe they can have faith and do nothing. One of the two. And that's the reason why you have to know what faith is, how you're justified, and then what works are and how they coincide with faith. Because people believe, once again, they can be good and get into heaven on their own or they believe they have faith and don't have to do anything. So that's why it's important. Now, what do we mean by good? Now, I know oftentimes I've talked to people about, you know, you can't be good enough. You can't be good enough to get into heaven. And I know I know a lot of the reaction is always like they're hurt by it or they're defended. They're, they get defensive and so on. And that makes me think, how can I say that better? Because I'm not trying to offend people. I don't want to hurt people. I don't want to. And pastors don't want to do that. We're not trying to, to stick a wound. We're not trying to do anything like that. We're not trying to belittle you, make you feel unworthy or anything like that. What we're trying to get at is, is, is a certain point that no matter how good you do, that's not the price to be paid. That's what we're trying to get you to understand. The Bible says, and we read that, Romans 3.23, the wages of sin is death. That's the price. So no matter how good, how much good you do, it doesn't matter because the price is death, right? Someone has to be perfect to pay that price. And you're not perfect. I'm not perfect. We're not worthy of that sacrifice. Christ was and is, right? I say is. He already paid the price. That was Christ. That's not us. So that's what we're trying to convey to someone when we say you can't be good enough. You can't pay that sin. You can't pay that price. In Galatians 3.10, how do we know that? Because Galatians 3.10 says this, you're cursed if you don't obey every aspect of the law. You are cursed. James chapter 2, verse 10 says, you are guilty of all the law if you break even one of them. Even one of them. Who here can follow everything in the Bible? <laughs> no one, not a person, not one soul on earth can follow that. That's why the price is too much. We can't pay it. So no matter how much good we do, it doesn't matter. It won't get you into heaven. And, we, and that's what we're trying to get you to realize. And everyone else, even online, we're trying to get you to realize you can't be good enough. The price is perfection. The price is death. And only one person can meet that. So now you see how it's impossible. 
doing it on your own. It's not that you can't do good. We know that you can do good. There's a lot of people that do good, and we encourage you to continue to do good. But that's not worthy enough to justify you. Only Christ can do that, so remember that. So we talk about works, and we talk about those type of things. It's important. So when we talk about, well, I won't go into that because I don't think I have time. Yeah, I'm running out of time. So understand this. If you ever get to a point, and, and I like in verse 17 because I'm gonna, just going to give you an overview of what he's saying here. What he says in verse 17, he says, if you, if, let's see, but if while seeking to be justified in Christ, we ourselves have also been found to be sinners, is Christ then one who encourages sin? Absolutely not. And then he details what he's talking about. But if I build again those things I once destroyed, I demonstrate that I'm the one who's breaking God's law. In other words, he's saying, if I go to Christ and I walk away from the law, am I a sinner because I walk away from the law? No, no. You go to Christ and Christ who makes you right gives you the power and the desire to do what pleases him. We know that in Scripture, right? We know that actually in uh, John 6, 28 through 29. Let's read that real fast. It says, so then they said to him, what must we do? They're talking to Jesus now. What must we do to accomplish the deeds God requires? Jesus replied, this is the deed God requires to believe in the one who sent him. Believe in Jesus. That's what he requires. That's the work of God. That's how we do it. We read in Philippians 2.13. Let's turn there real fast. He says, for the one bringing forth in you both the desire and the effort for the sake of his good pleasure is God. In other words, the desire to do what pleases him, God does that work in you. So when we talk about works and doing good, remember that. We don't have to get into this obligation part where I've got to do this, I've got to do this, I've got to do this, I've got to feel better. And if, because I've got to feel better, you know what, I missed church today. I've got to go. Why? Because I've got to feel better. No, 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 no. God places those things. He gives you the strength to do what pleases him. We don't do it out of obligation. We do it out of our faith. We do those things because God places that inside you, and you begin to want and desire those things. It's not out of obligation. And if it's not out of obligation, then you no longer have to feel bad because you missed one Bible study. You're still justified. Now, if you miss 80 Bible studies and every church day and you don't pray and you don't read, well, there's a problem, right? <laughs> That's not what we're talking about. There's a problem there, right? So if you ever find yourself starting to feel bad about something, and I don't, I'm not talking about conviction. Conviction is totally different. I'm talking about if you ever feel like you're feeling bad and you're like, you know what, I got to just do more. I got to do more. I got to do more. You yourself may be showing how sinful you are, and you may be doing it for the wrong reason because your justification, you're justified no matter what through Christ. You've got to believe in your salvation, right? Now, we can make mistakes, and we do feel convicted, and that conviction is there to get us back on track. But I don't do things to feel better. If I do things to feel better, better, I might be not fully persuaded that I'm saved or that I'm justified, and now I might be trying to earn my way, and that's a problem. So remember, Remember, if you remember anything in chapter 2, remember that faith, and I say in chapter 2, chapter 2 of Galatians and also in James, faith justifies you, but you also produce works out of that faith, and we have to realize that. I don't have time to go through anything else, so remember that, um, and that is that will conclude outside of verse 21, which is, I think, the last verse. Um, that will conclude uh, Galatians chapter 2. So if you would, let's stand. Uh, let's get into prayer.
Did, does anybody have any questions regarding what we talked about? Because I know sometimes we, I can get into the thick of things, and I don't want to lose you in any aspect. If you got any questions, uh, you can totally ask it. Yeah. All right. That means we all understood. I did my job. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Let's pray. Father God, we just praise you for tonight, Father. I pray, God, that, that everyone here, Father, understands that holy, Father, that it becomes part of their heart, God, that we begin to realize what faith is in our life and how God uses that and he saves us, God. And I pray, Father, that, that there is an urgency, Father, to do what pleases you, God, and that's by works, God. Our faith will then produce those works, but we do that because we please you, not because we're saved by them. And I pray that we get a revelation of that. I pray that we truly get a revelation of who you are. As the Bible says, you must believe that he died and rose again. We must believe that, that God raised Jesus Christ. We must believe that. And if we can believe that, then we will truly treat him as Lord in our life. And Lord, I pray, Father, that that becomes a revelation in our life and in our heart, God. Let it become a revelation. Let that seed just begin to grow inside of us, Father, so that we're able to do those things, Father. Not only are we able, but we desire to do those things. We desire to do good for people. We desire, Father, to uh, do the works of God, Father, not out of selfish ambition, but because people need it and people are hurting. Lord, I pray, Father, that we get that type of revelation in our life. And I pray, Father, that you would continually move on our heart, Father, in every way possible, Father, to continue to work on us and continue to help us to grow as we trust in you, God. We put our whole heart in you. We trust in you, God. And we know, Father, you're the one leading us. You're the one guiding us. God, we are the Gentiles, Father. We are in Christ. We have true freedom through Christ. And now, according to Scripture, we are one people. And we give you praise for that. Lord, we give you all the honor and all the glory and all the praise. And I pray, Father, anyone who's listening online, I pray, God, that you would begin to work on them and touch them, Father, and allow them to have a revelation, Father, of, of what salvation is and what justification is, Father. Bring them peace. As your word says, Father, in John, I believe it is, Father, or actually it's in um, Romans. It says in Romans 5.1 that, that, that we have peace in God. Once we are justified, we have peace in God. And I pray, Father, all those who are struggling online or maybe in here, that we realize, Father, that we are justified. Through Christ, we are justified. And that that would bring us peace, Father. That there's no longer wrath stored up for us. Bring us peace, God. We have been justified. Lord, and I pray, Father, that we truly walk in that peace. That we're able to live free and walk in Christ. We praise you and we give you all the honor and all the glory. In Jesus' name.